Next month, my wife and I have a really exciting thing happening. It's our nine-year anniversary, which means we started dating a year before our anniversary, so we've been together ten years. And so I'm planning kind of a nice thing for us to do together. And because I'm planning, um, you know, we're kind of celebrating nine years together, married, it makes me think back to when I first asked her out, that fateful night for her, really. And I remember I, uh, I came over to her house, and she was with a bunch of her roommates, and I was so nervous, and my heart was racing. I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask her out. I've been her friend for two and a half years. It's go time. And she did the very British thing to America. She said, can I make you a cup of tea? And I said, yes, that would be lovely. And she made me a cup of tea, and it was, you know, classic temperature, molten lava. And because I'm so nervous... I'm sipping this tea and scalding my tongue as it's going down because I'm so nervous. And all of her roommates just hung about. I was so frustrated with them. So finally her roommates kind of began to move away. And then it was just Pippa and I face to face. And I thought, now I've got to ask her the question. And so I kind of geared myself up and I said, Pippa, can I ask you a question? And you should have seen her face. She kind of went, uh-oh, <laughs> what's happening? She's like, yes. And I said, um, I'd like to take you on a date. And she said, well, oh, we're such good friends. And I was not having the friend zone. And so I said, so I came back again with the question. I said, I said, yes, we are good friends. That's why I'd like to take you on a date. And she said, I don't really want to ruin that friendship. And then I came back another time. And this time, I just decided I wasn't having any of it. And I said, Pippa, we've been friends for two and a half years. I'm a safe place. I'm going to take you on a date. Now, I don't necessarily recommend this with everybody, but for some reason, it worked for me. She kind of looked up from her tea and she said, all right, okay, that's fine. She just needed me to be kind of strong. I don't know. It's great. And I was thinking how absolutely nervous I was. I was wrecked with nerves nerves on the inside. I thought, how am I ever going to stand before Pippa, who I really, really like, and ask her to, take, to allow me to take her on a date? And if I was that nervous before Pippa, can you imagine how nervous Abraham was standing before the Lord? Verse 22, they were standing together face to face. And I wonder what it would have been like for Abraham to stand there on that hot day in the desert just him and the Lord. I wonder if he would have remembered back to when the Lord first came to him and promised him that he would be the father of many nations. I wonder if he thought about the journey they had been on as a family, traveling and living, waiting on the Lord. I wonder if he would have thought of the years of waiting on promise that hadn't happened. I wonder if he would have thought of earlier that day when the Lord appeared again and said, in a year from now, you're going to have a child. Maybe he would have been nervous. Maybe he would have been bold. Maybe he would have had these memories with him. I wonder myself what it would be like for me to stand before the Lord. Just me and the Lord. How would it change me? How would it affect me to be able to stand one-on-one with the Lord and speak? Actually, what would it be like for you? to stand before the Lord, just you and God. How would it change you? What would you say? What would come up? What would you hear from God if you stood 
you and him. Today we want to look at this passage and we want to see how Abraham is being changed as he stands before God, as he prays, as he has a conversation with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that Abraham is an example to us of someone who stands before you. We thank you, God, that you have changed Abraham. I ask today that as we encounter this passage, that you would see how we as well can be changed. In your name, amen. So we kind of have to start first by understanding this passage because there is a bit of confusion about what it's meaning. I think the real key to these, uh, this passage is in verses 17 to 19. So if you've got your scripture out, we're going to go through it. So please do open up um, Genesis 18. It's right in the beginning, so it's an easy one to find, yeah? So Abraham comes, and him and the Lord are there, and they're on a walk now. And, and God, the Lord looks to his, uh, the two angels that are with him, and he says, Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Should I reveal my plans and purposes to Abraham? And he says, well, the fact is, is that I have called him, this is verse 18, I have called him to be a powerful nation, a great nation. And in fact, I've actually called him to be a nation that will bless other nations. And more than that, even personally, I've called him to direct his children and his household in the ways of the Lord. So that Abraham will know how to do right and to do just. And this seems to convince the Lord. He, he knows that if he has called Abraham, he is going to reveal his plan to Abraham. You see, what this scripture is and how we have to interpret this is that God is revealing what he's doing to Abraham and this conversation is happening and it's development. It's changing Abraham. It's easy to see this and kind of think, is Abraham praying in such a way that he's changing God? If we see that we miss the, actually the powerful message of this passage. God is in charge in this situation. In fact, he's not being changed at all. He's the one who initiates this conversation. He's the one who lays it out for Abraham so that Abraham himself can be changed and grow. This is not about God, the God changing. This is about Abraham changing. And what we have to see, too, is that just because it's face-to-face, it's God and Abraham, we can feel like it's just a conversation. But let's remember, as we think about this, that this is man talking to God. This is prayer. It might be face-to-face, but this is prayer. And it does well for us to remember that it's prayer as well. So if God is revealing to himself, if God is here revealing himself in order to change and develop Abraham, there's three distinct ways we want to see that he's doing this. We're going to look at this. He's doing it through relationship, through questions, and through process. Relationships, questions, and process. These are three ways that God is working, and they all link together. So we're going to look at those today. So let's start with looking at relationship. So we have to remember today that this is really part two of a story. If we kind of rewind a bit, we first have Abraham cooling himself in the heat of the day. And the Lord comes up with two other angels, and they come up looking like normal people, and it's just an ordinary situation, but Abraham jumps up and offers maximum hospitality. He gets the servants up. He kills 
animals. He's feeding them. He's resting them. And in the midst of this kind of ordinary situation where, God, where Abraham is really being hospitable, he's aware all of a sudden that he is actually hosting God and angels. And he's moved in relationship and he's done what he should do. And after this relationship is happening, after Abraham is, has been hospitable to them, they go on a walk and they go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And here now we have this, this conversation that I said earlier where God sp- speaks to his angels and says, should I reveal this to Abraham? Abraham? And he says, yes. And then the angels leave and it's just God and Abraham. And Abraham now sees what God is going to do. And really, we can see God in the Old Testament. A lot of people think of God as someone in the Old Testament different than the New Testament, that he's a God who is absent and distant. But here what we see is actually a God who is present and revealing. He's someone that comes to Abraham and reveals his plans. He says, this is what I'm going to do. And actually, he steps towards Abraham in relationship. He shows him a whole new aspect of who he is. Quite frankly, it's a really different aspect as well. This is Abraham had earlier had seen the God who can give a child to the righteous. And now he's a God who can take away a life from the unrighteous. Abraham would have had to process this through. It would have been disorientating for him. But if we really think about this, part of Abraham's calling is to be a blessing to the nations. And here in this piece right here, we see that he is moving and stepping up into this calling. He is no longer just focusing on the blessing he's going to receive and what God is going to do for him. He now sees God's plan for Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees what God is going to do, and he has to interact with that now. He's stepping into his calling. And we're going to see how that works with questions in a second. But when we think about us in this, and our prayer lives, I wonder, do we expect God to reveal himself to us when we pray? Oftentimes we can come in our prayer, in our conversation with God, and it becomes like a shopping list where we just say, so much to him. We rattle off. Can we have this? Can we have this? Can you do this? Can you do this? But what would happen if we came to God and he revealed himself? If he showed us a little bit more of himself? If we took time to wait and to listen for God? See, that's the place of real relationship where we're not just telling God what needs to happen, but we're waiting and we're listening. As we go back and forth in that relationship, it goes deeper. And that's what's happening with with Abraham here. He knows more of who God is. He's expanding his place of relationship. And in prayer, that's our invitation as well, for us to know more about who God is so that we can be changed, so we can step into more of our calling as we know him. Let's look now at the second point, which is questions. So like I said earlier, Abraham would have been stepping back and have heard what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he would have stood there. And this would have been disorientating for him. This would have been really difficult for Abraham to hear 
the God of justice, to hear what God was going to do to a town where his family lived. And we see that then he approaches God. And he approaches him with questions, with loads of questions. We see starting in 23, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of the earth do right? You see, these are real questions Abraham is asking. These aren't kind of fluffy questions. He's not holding back from God. He's coming right in with real questions. God, if you are God of justice, how can you treat the righteous this way? God, if you are a God who judges the world, how, how can you do this? We can hear these questions reverberating into our culture today as well. God, if you are a God of love, how can you allow this to happen? And this is what Abraham is asking. He's coming to God in fear and trepidation to ask real questions. God, I've got to make sense of what you say you're going to do with who I know you to be. What's interesting about this as he's asking these questions is that he does know who God is. He says, will not the judge of the earth do right? You see, he's not accusing God and saying, God, if you do this, you're not loving. If you do this, you're not right. He's putting it with who he knows. God, you are the judge of the earth. Will you not do right? And he's asking real questions. But there's another piece that he's doing at the same time. And this is the beauty of these questions, of real questions. Is that at the same time, he's also becoming the voice for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, what if there was righteous people? What if there was 50 righteous people? At the same time that he doesn't understand what God is doing, he's asking that God would care for and look after Sodom and Gomorrah. He's becoming the voice for them. He's becoming the intercessor, the one who stands on their behalf. These two things are happening at the same time. We see earlier that God is wanting to instill in Abraham justice. And this is Abraham stepping into it. He's saying, God, will you be just for these people? Will you be just for them? And he calls out, he cries out for justice. He's got real questions, but he also steps up for them. He says, will you care for them? Will you... Spare them. Truth is, in our lives, we see images all the time in the news. We have experiences that feel unjust, that we know are unjust. Sometimes we come into prayer and we hold these things separate. And we kind of clean up our prayers for God. But the truth is, is that God invites us to ask real questions. There is a place to fight for justice, for the things that we see in our prayer life. I don't know if you saw the image that I saw not long ago of that Syrian boy washed up on a beach. Where do we go? How do we process something like this? Do we hold that separately from our relationship with God? 
Prayer and our conversation with God is the very place that we should come in. And we should say, God, if you are a God of justice, then why does this happen? But equally, we come in and we say, God, if you are the God of justice, can you not spare them? What can I do in this circumstance? Who can I be for these people as well? And when we ask these questions and when we fight for answers, we grow into our calling. We grow into people of justice. I can remember when I encountered these questions for the first time, questions of who God was. It felt overwhelming. It happened when I was living in Edinburgh, and I was walking the streets of Edinburgh saying, God, if you're loving, then why is there pain in the world? Some of these questions that were big questions, and having to kind of stretch them out on my way to and from work and fight for them. And it was disorientating, and it was difficult at times, and it threw me for a loop. But after coming to the Lord and fighting for them, I find that I am, have grown in my relationship with the Lord and actually feel that I care more and am more engaged with the world than I was before. So often we can disengage from God when we have these questions, but actually God invites us to come and pray them to him. I encourage you, all of you, this Thursday night with Matthew Frost coming, for us to hear about what's going on in Syria, to be educated and to pray that you would come along and let's fight for what's happening. Let's fight in prayer. Let's fight with our hearts. So we've got relationship and we've got questions. And we can see how God is using this conversation to change and grow Abraham into the man he's called to be. The last one we want to see is process. Every step of what God has been doing with Abraham has been a process. Nothing's been quick. Nothing was God coming and saying, Abraham, I've got some good news. I'm going to make you a father of many people more than the stars. And then he didn't kind of answer the prayer and all these people just appeared. If anything, it was a long process that took time and came in stages. And here again, we see even as he calls out to God, there is this back and forth process. Little by little. This mirrors how God has been with Abraham so far. It's been little by little. Little changes. You see, as Abraham is working out his questions, as he's expanding and seeing where God is in his relationship, saying, how does this work? Who is God? Could I trust him? with this question for five less, for ten less? How does this work? We see his prayers change little by little. And he actually grows in trust for God. What if God can, I trust you for 20, for 10? And he's trusting God for more and for more. And this little bit that's happening, this little process, is actually allowing Abraham to grow in trust. I trust God in this. And we know that Abraham is known as a man of faith. And as his trust is being established, these are the roots of faith in his life. He's establishing faith in Abraham through process. I think in our lives, we can oftentimes think of God as a box that we need to tick or something we can do. We can just kind of get God a bit quicker. But the truth is, is that God isn't one to be rushed. He likes to take his time with us. He likes to take process with us. 
Sometimes we can think of God maybe as the CEO at the end of the day that we come to and he just lays out the quarterly reports and says, well, let's just see how you've been. I don't know, you know, have you kind of matched up to my expectations? Maybe not, you know, maybe a little too much TV, not enough prayer. But actually, God's not just looking at your end goal. What if God's more like someone that you sit down and have a cup of coffee with? And he says, how are you doing? How's your life? Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about what you need. Let me tell you about myself as well. And there's a process. There's time. So we see that these are the things, these are the ways that Abraham has been being developed. That in this prayer, he has been able to have a relationship that is going deeper with God, and he's growing in it, and he's growing in his calling. He's been able to ask real questions and step in and intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's grown in a heart of justice. And we see also that he has submitted to a process and taken time and gone back and forth, and he trusts God and has developed him as a man of faith. But Abraham gets to stand face to face with God. Where does this leave us? The great thing is that as Abraham was this intercessor, this mediator for Sodom and Gomorrah, he only went so far. But as we go forward into the New Testament, we have Jesus, who is the perfect mediator, who stands between us and God and actually says, I will take on everything that has been done wrong onto myself. And I will actually pay the price for those that are imperfect. Let me pay the price so they can be clean and forgiven. You see, Jesus has taken everything that we've done wrong onto himself. And as we experience forgiveness, total forgiveness, the gift that we have is an open door to God. Each one of us now can be like Abraham. We can stand face to face with God. That's what our prayer is. It's standing face to face with God, allowing him to reveal himself and grow us in relationship, developing in us a heart for this world, submitting us to a process and his time that helps us to grow in faith. Let me pray.